0: Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, today I had the pleasure of interviewing Michael Ponte with Savvy Investors. Michael's a longtime real estate investor and coach. He provides lots of great free real estate educational content. We cover a fair bit of ground in this podcast from fundamentals for new investors to structuring the JV deal. I'm planning on having Michael on the show again to do a deeper dive into multifamily investing. If you have an investment topic you'd like to hear more about, please let me know. I think you'll enjoy the show. Hey Michael, welcome to the Calgary real estate investing podcast. Awesome to have you on the show today. I've done some research and I found out more about you and I know you've been in real estate investing for what, 20 years, 20 years, long, long, long time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's a ton of experience. So uh, first question, tell me about yourself and how you got into real estate investing. Sounds good. Corey, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to share on your podcast. It's always a treat to be able to connect with you and talk obviously from Calgary and stuff like that. And I always talk about one of my favorite subjects, real estate investing. So again, for me, I've been investing for about 20 years. And I kind of got started probably like a lot of people out there, it's um, you know, maybe looking at some different options in regards to the investing world. They're not maybe happy with their mutual funds or stocks and things just maybe weren't going well. And then they started looking at the real estate holdings and they're like, you know what, my houses are appreciating and maybe this is a better avenue. And that was exactly me. It's like, I wasn't happy with my investments and I saw my home prices going up and i'm like i probably want to do more of this real estate investing thing and maybe a less than the mutual funds and stock side and this is not a knock in that it's just that this is what opened my horizons and seeing what real estate was able to do. And so I started just buying very small properties. And like many people that are learning out there today, it's just like taking a line of credit out of their personal residence. You know, you have a bunch of equity sitting in their home. And I started buying properties, just single family homes. I didn't know what I was doing. I'll be very honest. There's not a lot of information like, you know, your podcast, Corey, in regards to sharing information back then 20 years ago, is like kind of the school of hard knocks in a lot of ways. And so I bought a couple townhomes and then saw the benefit of that and then started to slowly expand from there. From that point forward, it just really started to push into raising capital because the banks for probably like many people. They just say, hey, Mike, you're done at the property number five. And they're just like, "Okay, there's an obstacle in front of me. And this is where my eyes started to open into maybe raising capital and then started to really expand on my portfolio from there. So right now, from that transition over the years, I had no intention of, Having a real estate investment company, you know, even being in this podcast that we're at today, Corey, and thanks again for the invite, but it was just a real journey for me and I really saw the benefit of this and what real estate investing has given me is time. And for me, that was always been my goal is spending more time with my family and my kids and being able to take them to school and pick them up from school and go away on holidays and generating an income stream where I can work literally anywhere around the world but having the flexibility to work whenever I wanted to. And that's really why I got into it or got into it later on after I realized the power of real estate. But it really was when I first started, it was probably like a lot of people. It's just wanting to do something a little bit different in their life and seeing real estate investing as a vehicle to do that. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So stop trading time for money. You're located in Langley, right? Is that right? I am Langley, British Columbia. I'd say beautiful today, but it's raining out there really badly. So our typical... BC weather is happening, yes. Uh-oh, well, it beats the snow in Calgary, that's for sure. That's what I've heard, I've heard, yes. <laughs> and I think, am I right, your first property was in Edmonton, wasn't it? It is, yep, and, and I still own it, I still have it. You yeah. still have it today, wow. And how did that happen? How did it end up, you know, because you, you didn't buy in Langley, your first investment probably you ended up in Edmonton, so how did that transpire? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, the one thing I did kind of learn was cash flow. Okay, And when I saw the prices of homes, in the lower mainland here at the time, it was going to be negative cash flow. And I was like, oh, this is pretty significant negative cash flow, it just really didn't appeal to me. So for me, I had to understand what my objectives were and it was about generating an income stream, that was my focus. And I just didn't see that happening within the lower mainland marketplace from a cash flow perspective. And so I started to expand my horizons a little bit and look at some different markets. And very fortunate to have talked to other investors and they were telling me where they were investing and they gave me the opportunity to explore some of these different markets, Calgary, Edmonton were kind of the two that a lot of people were suggesting. And so I did go out to Edmonton and took a look and we took a little bit of a leap of faith and bought our very first property in Edmonton. Because we were making, you know, first of all, the purchase price was like seventy nine thousand dollars back in the days for a three bedroom, <laughs> one and a half bath townhome, and then at the same time, you know, the cash flow, believe it or not, we were losing forty dollars a month on that property, forty bucks. But in my mind, I was like, that's just one meal. I'm just not going to go and eat every single month. Big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, but again, one of the things I really liked about Alberta was the rent regulations where I can raise the rent at any point in time. And when I bought in 2001, I believe it was 2001, you know, we're losing negative cash flow, but shortly after rents just went up drastically. And so all of a sudden that negative $40 a month cash flow turned into about almost three to $400 positive cash flow per month. And then that was kind of my aha moment. Corey it was just like, hey now i really see the benefit of this and if i bought a few more of these then i can see that income stream coming in i may not necessarily need to work as much as i'm working today and use real estate as that opportunity to generate another source of income for myself right so for sure it's kind of unique i think most people will start in their own back door where it's like oh you know i can go i can be my own property manager if the toilet leaks i can fix it so there's obviously there's pros and cons to having properties in other locations. You can't yep. be the part-time plumber. You have to rely on a team and you have to have the right people in place, right? So you had to learn that basically right out of the gate as opposed to most people, I think they learn that a little bit later is having that yeah. team. Yeah, for sure. And I'll be honest, when I first bought that property, I remember I was excited and I'm like, I mean, you know what, I'm gonna save some money. I'm gonna fly out to Edmonton, paint the unit all by myself, okay? and do all the maintenance and do all the work myself. So I'll save a few bucks. And I actually even slept in the unit. So I brought a sleeping <laughs> bag, slept in there to save some bucks. So I repainted the whole thing, did all the work and you know got it all ready to go. And then I remember coming back home and then I'm like, I don't think I saved $1 to be honest with you. And in fact, knowing the work that I did, because you know my joke that I always have is the best tool in my tool chest is actually my checkbook, because I am not a handyman by any means. And so truthfully, I think if I hired somebody, I probably would have done myself a favor, because the work would have been a lot better. But (laughs) I learned that it's just like, you know what, I can't be working in the business, I need to be working on the business. And I did learn that early. And so hiring a property manager, and trying to find the right people in the team to facilitate that. And like I said, it's just something that I knew that I wasn't obviously going to be able to go out and fly out to Edmonton every single week to deal with tenant issues. So I needed to bring that on right away. But I kind of set the tone from the very beginning. I've always budgeted that there was a property manager going to be there in place. And I make this comment. If I bought a rental property that was literally right beside my house, I would probably still hire a property manager. Okay. I don't want to deal with those phone calls. Like I said, I want to be able to sleep very well at night and I do. And so when somebody calls saying that the furnace is not working, it's not my phone that's ringing off the hook. It's somebody else's that's needing to manage that. And and that's how you have to scale your business and grow your business is by bringing in people to delegate a lot of those tasks off. So for yeah. sure. Again, it comes to the concept of trading time for money, right? It's either, Absolutely. either you're giving up time or maybe you give up some money and you get your time back. So mm-hmm. yep, it's huge. exactly. So you as an experienced investor, now looking back, let's say someone's just getting into investing, what advice would you give them starting out as a new investor? Well, I think for a lot of people, the first thing that I would definitely recommend is take some time to really understand why you're doing it. you know what is your why and you've probably heard this lots and you, you talked to a lot of people is understand what your goals, what are you trying to accomplish, but it has to start from there. Like it really does is what's the objective of you getting started in real estate investing to begin with? And by understanding that completely, like truly understanding that it actually provides you a good guideline of the types of properties you want to be focusing on, but it has to start there. Some people just kind of jump in and they just like, you know, they're going on social media or Facebook and they're just seeing other people buying and they just kind of follow suit without really understanding why they're doing that. And so it's important to really understand what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And then more importantly, trying to, at that point, determining What markets that you want to be focusing on, what's the investment strategy, what type of properties, and what are those benchmarks or those thresholds you're trying to accomplish? Let's just say you're trying to generate $1,000 a month cash flow. Okay. You might have $200,000 worth of equity. How am I going to accomplish that? Or how am I going to get close to that number using the capital that I have? And is the market that I'm investing in going to help me get there or not? So, for example, like as of late, you know, Vancouver is a real challenging area to try to get cash flow. And if I'm trying to invest for cash flow, then the reality is, why am I investing in Vancouver? It doesn't make much sense because it's probably more alligators taking money out of my pocket than putting in because that was the objective. It's understanding what your why is. So if you know your markets aren't going to be generating cash flow, why are you looking at that market? Maybe it's your opportunity to expand somewhere else. But it has to start there. It has to start with what is it you're trying to do? What's your goals? What are you trying to focus on? And from that point forward, it starts to kind of provide you some clarity of maybe strategy, market to begin with. I know for myself, I didn't have very clear objectives to begin with. All I knew is I wasn't happy with my returns and my investment. And I didn't get clear about it until after maybe my third property when I saw the power of real estate investing. And I was like, hey, listen, I'm generating now, you know, $1,300, $1,400 a month cash flow on just a few properties. My target is going to be, I'm trying to you know, overcome my income that I'm making in my JOB. And so that's my magic target. That's my number. Now I know exactly the types of properties to try to facilitate that. So I don't have to work at my job anymore. And now I can spend more time with my kids and my family. And that's really the objective. But I tend to find people just are investing for the exercise of investing without understanding why they're doing it to begin with, so. Yeah, that's a great answer. So let's say you woke up tomorrow, wake up with your knowledge you've gained all these years investing but you wake up with zero portfolio so my question is how would you move first what would you do first as an investor like so are you going to go to that single family are you going to try to scale from there what would you do great question and i think for me knowing what i know today i'm actually still a single family investor and a multifamily investor i do both right but the opportunities have got to make sense but i would say when i first got started it was mostly single family because that's all i knew And now, based on our business model, it's mostly multifamily, so I'm going to say it's probably 90-95% to is our multifamily business with maybe a very small percentage residential. I would probably say, if knowing what I know today, I'd probably be putting a lot more attention on the multifamily space and just focusing in there, because there's just so many ways to make money in multifamily, regardless of what's happening in the market. So you know, with what's happening now with inflationary costs and everything like that, prices are kind of going down, but in multifamily, there's just so many other factors that you can actually create forced appreciation, which is why it's a big appeal to be honest with you. Okay. But that's not to discount single family. There are opportunities that are there too. And, you know, myself, I just bought myself a fourplex just not that long ago. I guess that's still considered multifamily, but it's under the residential space but it's a good property, good cash flowing property that I'm happy to do. It doesn't technically fall under the multifamily space, but it is a great segment. It is still a great property to be looking at. So it's about exploring opportunities. I do wanna take a step back. That's based on the knowledge I know today and the information that I know today. For people that are just getting started investing in real estate, I would probably encourage you not to start in multifamily, okay? Because I'm a believer that you gotta walk before you run. And it's like, dip your toe in the water, get yourself figured out a little bit because it is a different animal. Like residential real estate investing is buying a property, okay? That's what you're buying as a property. Multifamily investing is you are buying a business. And so they are treated very, very differently. And I see a lot of residential investors with the same mindset of residential investing going into multifamily, but they haven't taken the time to learn how to invest in a business. And unfortunately it's causing pain for them. So for those getting started, it's not to poo poo or to tell you not to do it. My advice is, take the time to get your feet wet first, before you kind of go into something a lot bigger, just so you don't hurt yourself in a lot of ways. Cause you're dealing with much bigger costs. It's a different way to assess things and analyze things. So you just want to be really careful. So. Yeah. Another great answer. So you as an experienced investor and also a coach, what would you say is a common mistake or maybe a number one mistake that you're seeing newbies or new investors make? It's very, very common. I think people really shortchange their numbers in a lot of ways, or they really tighten up their numbers in their analysis just to make the deal work, Corey. It's just like, you know what? They're not maybe budgeting reserve funds adequately. They're not budgeting a vacancy allowance. They're not capturing some of the really key nuggets that are important. In some cases, they're actually inflating a lot of their rents that they're even able to get into their analysis as well. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing is they're trying to make the deal work. But here's the thing they're making the deal work on paper, okay? That doesn't mean that's going to come to fruition in reality. At the end of the day, you can do whatever you want in your analysis of vacancy allowances and repair allowances and not having reserve funds and inflating the rental rates and all that stuff. You're only fooling yourself at the end of the day. You know, and I tend to see that as like, oh, I didn't budget enough for this. Or like, for example, to make the deal work I didn't budget for a property manager to manage the property because I wanted to save on that expense. Now, when they are trying to scale their business and they now put that expense in the analysis, it doesn't cash flow right? So think about your life and think about what you want for your real estate investing business. If you want to self-manage, there's nothing wrong with this, but there's limitations to it as well. Like how many properties are you technically able to manage yourself? And so you know, if you're trying to skinny the management fee, or if you're trying to not incur the management fee, then you've got to also understand that property is something you will most likely manage for the duration of whatever term you're looking for for that property itself. But if you budget that stuff in advance, think about it with more of a longer term perspective. Am I planning on managing this property for the next five years? And that's the answer is if the answer is no, then you need to budget those things into your analysis. But I think a lot of people, they really tweak the numbers to make things work and they just not spent the time to really understand the long-term strategy of the investment in itself. And more importantly, it goes right back to it, is what's your why? And what are you trying to accomplish? What's the goals here? You know, If you're looking to be kind of the next major real estate guru investor and you wanna own a hundred properties, you have to start to delegate some of that stuff off. You know, Don't start shortchanging your analysis where you are limiting yourself to accomplish those specific goals, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And obviously if you shortchange or see examples of it now and you have a variable rate mortgage with interest rates climbing, you, know, you could be underwater. Yeah, Very much sure. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I think even people that have bought properties and there's definitely people that have done that, these investors, a lot of investors that have done this. Is they've done their analysis and it's unfortunate, but they based it off of rates that are just so low, you know, 2%. You know, I've got a mortgage right in front of me here. I'm very fortunate to have locked in at this rate, but at 1.67% for a five-year fixed. Amazing. Okay. (laughs) I've got a few years left on this. But the reality is they've not taken into account that rates at some point in time are going to go up. You're basing it off of what today's rate is. You had to kind of assume that, hey, rates are at some point in time have to go back up. And again, budget for those things in part of your analysis, you have to capture that. Like for people that are buying properties today, you know, Bank of Canada is going to raise the rates again next month. There's probably a few more rate increases coming in the new year. Are you planning? Are you budgeting for that future increase? are you just basing it off the numbers today to make it work for you? You kind of have to play a little bit of like an economist or have that crystal ball and try to kind of assess what the market's going to do and then start to kind of plan for that in the future. Again, it's sometimes challenging, but you don't want to shortchange yourself in your numbers just to make it work in the analysis for yourself. Be open and honest and transparent. And if the numbers don't work, the numbers don't work. You just move on to the next deal. That's it. For sure. And even, obviously, inflation can be affecting, say, if you have a maintenance number budgeted and then we've got inflation, you know, cost of goods going up, that kind of stuff, that's going to impact that number as well. Very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In your opinion, what would be an attractive property for an investor? Let's say just in a single family detached Mm -hmm. or not multifamily, what would be an attractive property? Yeah, like for me, you know, getting into the single family space, I like units that have multiple income streams, right? And so be it up and down suites, obviously, more income, the better. In some cases, depending on your market, if you have the ability to even rent the garage or storage, or, you know, I'm looking for multiple streams of income in highly desirable areas. And so that's number one and two. Like I'm looking location, location, location is, you've heard this before over and over again, because it actually does dictate the type of tenant profile that you are attracting. With that being said, I'm trying to find a good location, a good area, and at the same time, trying to find those multiple streams of income. And so if I can do that, you know, if I got one unit vacant, then technically I'm 50% vacant versus 100% vacant. So I like suited homes. I do, if I'm going to the single family space, you know, preferably even like three units or even four units, again, more income, the better to be really honest with you. More bedrooms, the better. So if I'm looking for three bedrooms upstairs, I would like to see two bedrooms downstairs or three bedrooms downstairs. I don't like bachelors downstairs because, the turnover tends to be a little bit higher so if i've got two bedrooms then there's enough space for maybe a couple and maybe a child then you know tend to be longer term tenants in that perspective and then on the other side of this thing and you know depending on how everybody feels about this but i'm just kind of sharing some of my experience back in 2008 2009 there's going to be opportunities you know, there's going to be struggles and it's already happening today and with that being said is being open to looking at these opportunities as they become available because there are going to be people that are going to be challenged and it is really unfortunate for people where you know they may no longer be able to afford their mortgage or their costs have just gone up so much they just can't live in this place so as an investor we have to look at ourselves as solution solvers to be honest with you you're helping these individuals get out of their situation. And so with that being said, there also is opportunity. And again, it's about analyzing this well and making sure that when you are acquiring this property and there's potential motivation, you wanna know what the number is that makes the most sense for you. So if the price is, let's just say it's $300,000 for a property, but the numbers aren't working out, what's the number need to be to make it work to accomplish the goals that you're looking for? Maybe the number is 225, okay? that is the option that you present back to your seller. And you say, I can't do it for this price, but this is the price that I'm willing to look for. So by identifying your area, identifying the types of properties you're looking for. For me, I like up and down suites. I do like multiple streams of income when it comes to the property itself. And then like I said, I love good locations, good quality locations. It just attracts a better quality tenant profile. And for me, I don't want to be too busy in my business. If you understand what I'm saying, I don't want to be dealing with turnovers or bad quality tenants or tenants that have destroyed my property or anything like that. It's about finding the right location, the right property that fits the investment goals that are there. And so, like I said, for a lot of investors, you know, you have to really base on what you're able to afford too. But my advice is, you know, you may only have 50, 60, or a hundred thousand dollars, and there's limitations of what you're able to afford. If it's a condo, Try to do your best you possibly can to have more bedrooms, the more bedrooms, you have the better quality tenants that you will most likely have as well and really, really important that you take into consideration location location location. Take the time to do some research before you buy something don't just buy something because it's cheap, it might be cheap for a reason so. 100%. Is there any external factors that you would avoid? So let's say when you stay away from a house that's close to train tracks or, oh, it's right beside that gas station. Is there anything like that that you've kind of just mentally would be like, nope, next one I'll look at? Yeah, the train tracks is a big one for me, to be honest with you. So I don't like things that are relatively too close. So it's kind of a fine balancing act. I like things that are relatively close to like an LRT or train station or something of that nature, but I don't need it right decided if you understand what i'm saying right (laughs) so it kind of goes back to what i'm looking for and trying to attract my ideal tenants so you know if i'm looking at let's just say a townhouse okay for an example three bedrooms one and a half bath townhouse most likely my tenant profile is going to be i'll let you guess what do you think it's going to be Corey? (laughs) a family small family Family, there we go it's probably going to be a family so i'm trying to find things that are going to accommodate a family so closer to school closer to parks closer to shopping and so i'm trying to find you know does that have that perimeter or does it have those amenities close to that unit yes or no and then in regards to deterrence if i see something that is a townhouse right beside a freeway probably not the best thing for family with noise and all that kind of stuff like that. And, and God forbid, major issues that may come or a train track, they may not just be comfortable living there. And especially if there's no schools, or any of those things. So it is a little bit tenant dependent. But at the same time, you know, anything to do with like significant noise, like major highways, definitely trains is a big one for me. Those are some big deterrents. And then obviously, again, it goes right back to location location, you know, is there a rough area literally around the corner, or what is it around the corner that tends to be maybe an area of concern? One of the things that I tend to see sometimes is, I can't remember the name of them. It's like um, money, uh, money, money, money trees, or whatever the company is, you know, where they are cash in their check. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. tend to see like liquor stores, money trees, all that kind of stuff like that. You know, I'm not trying to paint brush that all of these are bad facilities or anything like that, but it can sometimes attract maybe just the wrong community individuals, if you understand what I'm saying. So, for you sure. know, take some time to drive around, really understand your area and really ask yourself, can you actually live there? Would you live there? So if it's right beside a train station or a train, ask yourself, would you live there? And if the answer is no, then why are you buying there, right? So yeah, yeah, for sure. How about features? Let's say, you know, cause you've owned so many different properties, Is there properties where you feel like, man, the maintenance cost was just way too much, like maybe a flat roof house or something, and you came back and you realized, wow, I wouldn't want to own one of these again. Have you experienced that with certain types of properties? Um, Yeah, I think the big one that you got to be aware of is stratas. Like anything to do with stratas, definitely condos and townhouses for sure. Like I think the important part, and I've been, knock on wood, pretty fortunate to be honest with you. is. When you are out there buying properties, especially in a stratified location, just understand you're also buying kind of a bunch of neighbors involved in your business, to be honest with you. And some of these guys are not very sophisticated at all. So with that being said, you know, you got to be aware of condo fees and strata fees and disputes, special assessments that kind of come up from time to time. And so when you're buying in a strata, it's always important to take the time to go through the minutes and read through the AGMs and try to forecast things that may come up. And so the one thing I would avoid is just because condo fees are really, really low, okay? So you might be buying a property right now and you're like, wow, the condo fees are a hundred bucks a month. But in the industry, it's closer to 300 to 350. This may be like a self-managed strata, okay? Self-managed strata. And they've done this purposely to keep costs down that's not always a good thing because what they've done is they've delayed a lot of the maintenance that is needed to be done in the building in itself, like roofs, like parking lots, like siding and fencing. And now all of a sudden, when a new management company comes over and takes over and they're like, there's all this work that needs to be done Now you can feel a lot of pain in regards to special assessments. You know, I had individuals that I know that bought into Stratas that, you know, really low condo fees made the numbers look really, really good. But when a new management company took over special assessments, you know, 20,000, $40,000, you know, and all of a sudden, all that cash flow and income that you were hoping for is kind of just disappear. Right. And so I think that's the one thing, you know, for me, I am really cognizant of strata. I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest with you, but I can understand and respect that people want to buy a condo or a townhouse just because it's more affordable. Still, it can be a really good investment strategy. It's just that you just need to be much more diligent to making sure that they're keeping up with a lot of the maintenance. I've had a lot of special assessments in my time, nothing significant, but at the end of it, it's those are always those nice surprises that you don't have a lot of control of, of course, right? So Yeah, for sure, that's great advice. So it actually leads perfectly, in, I was just about to ask you areas that you would consider higher risk. So obviously it has a strata, condo fee. Is there any other areas that you think is a higher risk for an investor? I wouldn't even call as condos and strata as high risk to be honest with you. It's just really more, you just need to be aware of that kind of stuff. Be like could be really good opportunities in town houses and condos for sure you can do short-term rentals and they're going to do exceptionally well in regards to a segment that is high risk there's pros and cons to kind of everything to be really honest with you and I guess if I went to choose one specific thing and for those that are getting into more of the multifamily space just be aware of your sweet mixes I think it's not a significant risk it's just more of a an understanding you need to understand that if you're buying a building that are all bachelors like you buy a 30-unit apartment building that are all bachelors you do need to understand that the turnover on that building is going to be much more because not a lot of people want to stay in a bachelor unit for a very long time. That's not always the case. But again, people that, you know, if you've got buildings and apartment buildings that have got more bedrooms, they tend to stay there longer. So when you're looking at buying kind of in the apartment building, if you're getting into more multifamily space, more bedrooms, the better Then less involvement that you're going to have with the building in itself. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. That's great advice. So we're going to kind of transition into JV deals. Just a couple of questions. So yeah. uh, what advice would you give someone that's looking to maybe set up, they can't financially do a deal themselves and they're looking for a partner? Yeah, that great question. And that could take two hours in itself to be honest <laughs> with you. But yeah. I think the important part is, and you see a lot of this beforehand, is you see a lot of investors selling deals online or pushing deals. I see it all the time. So you go on Facebook and they're like, I've got an investment opportunity. It's gonna make a 20% return on your investment. And then you'll get people responding. And then all of a sudden you find out they're all a bunch of tire kickers. And that's very common, very, very, very common. I think for a lot of people, you need to understand that what you're actually selling and you're not selling the deal at all. It's not about the real estate deal. You're actually selling yourself. And so that's how you need to sell and communicate is, you know, if I'm gonna give somebody $100 to Corey, like if I'm gonna give you $100,000 hypothetically, my first reaction is, can I trust Corey with my $100,000 or is he gonna go to beliefs? And I'm not saying Corey would ever do that to me, (laughs) but the reality I'd have to determine that. And so for me, I wanna have some dialogue. I wanna have some discussion. I wanna get a chance to know who you are. I always reference a new connection with potential money is like the first date, okay? You're not gonna get a kiss on the first date. So the important part is let's get to know each other before you get that kiss. And so uh, that's what you're selling. So for those that are trying to raise money and you're not having a lot of success, ask yourself, are you selling yourself well? Like, are you presenting yourself as sophisticated? Can they relate to your investment strategy? Do you guys have common goals with your money partners and so my advice for a lot of people that are just getting started is take the time to learn like learn how to present and communicate with money partners you know i'm not here to sell anything it's just it's really about sharing because the more you learn about this the better you can get at it i know for myself when i learned how to raise money man i made a mess of it like i mean an absolute mess didn't have a lot of success Because I was pitching the deal and over and over and over again, just got flat on my face until my uh, wonderful wife kind of presented to me. She's like, Mike, why don't you pitch me? Let me see what you're doing wrong. That's what she said. It took the equivalent of about four minutes. She's like, (laughs) when are you going to start asking me about what my goals are and what I want to do? And I'm like, that's so valid. I was sharing more about pitching, but I didn't really understand her and what she wanted and get clarity to that. And then more importantly is, am I able to accomplish the things that she's looking for? And so that was kind of my aha moment for me is actually my wife that brought that to my attention. And since then, I obviously completely changed the way we present it. and it's now more focused on you know the money partner first, understanding them, building a relationship, okay? And I think the real message for you real estate experts that are listening to this is, it's a two way street. I know you're looking for money, but here's the other side. Do I really want to work with Corey? Of course I want to work with Corey, but do I really want to work with Corey? Can I be married with Corey in this acquisition for the next five years? And you have to be honest with yourself. If I see my spider sense is tingling that Corey, the money partner, I'm not jiving with them. Then it's better for you guys to walk away at this point in time than get yourself into a position to use your money and be involved in this transaction together. And so my advice is learn how to present yourself. Again, you are selling yourself and sharing a little bit about credibility and trust, because if Corey trusted me 100 percent, okay, in a lot of ways, it doesn't even matter what the deal is because Corey trusts me 100 percent. And I share that a lot, but if, even for myself, if I got my partners and I use this a lot, is Tuck, hypothetically speaking, okay? I don't know if Taktiak's is a good place to invest or anything like that, but if I presented a property in Tuck to my investment partners, they would most likely invest with me because they trust me 100%. That's why I say it's never really the deal, it's yourself that you're selling first. Once they have the confidence and trust in you, then the deal comes always secondary. For sure, yeah. How about, because you've built multiple teams in different locations, so you're going to have different people you know, on your team, yeah. uh, any different strategies or anything different you look for when you're building a team? Not really, to be honest with you, it's pretty consistent. And so for me, I really build my team. So for example, if I'm going into a new market, I always have two or three realtors that I would bring on, two or three property managers, two or three lawyers, and I have my full team ready to go. Even though I only may own one property just to get started, I will pick one team member. But what I tend to find, sometimes you're not going to hit a home run with that individual right off the bat. So you always have a backup plan constantly, right? So for me, I am looking for individuals that have obviously got experience and knowledge. But there's one main criteria that I always love to look for, and especially for my realtors. I like people that are hungry really, really hungry, that are really aggressive, really trying to improve themselves, really trying to grow where they can see value in me and vice versa the other way around. Especially in times like this, Corey, it's just like, you know what? There are opportunities out there, but I want my realtors to go out there and go hunting, like really digging versus just seeing what's on MLS. And then just sharing that with me, I want them to be hitting the ground running and really doing that little bit of extra because they need to put food on the table for their family. I love working with realtors like that, that are very, very hungry and wanting to push because I know they're going to take that a little bit of extra effort. And when I see that, it makes me want to work with them even more because they're out there combing the streets, trying to find opportunities for me. And then more importantly, as I know, I'm getting access to opportunities where this is not a shot because sometimes our seasoned investors they've got a really good plethora of opportunities and leads and individuals but they're just maybe not as hungry as others but i do like very hungry realtors and i love very experienced property managers for sure so nice so you got to be willing to basically knock some doors if you're gonna be your realtor yeah i want people to shake the tree shake the tree and knock some doors I want to see opportunities that are not available to everybody else. And that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, Yeah, smart. So I'd like to kind of start moving into ask you some questions about your coaching program. Maybe you could kind of go over. It's the Elevate Academy, right? Yeah. So our Elevate Academy is um, falls under kind of three umbrellas. So Elevate Academy is kind of an opportunity where people want to educate themselves in one way or another. And it also is dependent on where they are in the real estate investing journey. Under Elevate Academy, we have something called Elevate Masterclass. Elevate Masterclass is for individuals that are just maybe getting started or looking to expand in their real estate space. We have three programs that fall under there. One of them is Elevate Masterclass Fundamentals to Residential Real Estate Investing, which is kind of the foundations to real estate investing. So for those that are just getting started and just don't know how to invest or what to be looking for, how to find opportunities, how to analyze deals properly, how to negotiate deals, how to do market due diligence. So as I shared with you earlier is I went to Edmonton, I went there for a reason. And sometimes our backyard is just not the best place to invest. How do I, as an investor, look at different markets and assess if that's a market to invest? So we teach that as well. So it's really kind of more the grassroots for those that are wanting to learn fundamental residential real estate investing. And like I said, I've had a lot of students had a lot of success in that program, and it just kickstarts them in their journey. The other programs we have is the raising capital through joint venture partnership. So exactly what we just talked about before. It's just about how to properly present yourself, how to manage a joint venture relationship business, because as soon as you bring in other people's money, you've got a business that you're needing to conduct. You need to provide presentations and pro formas and all sorts of stuff. How do you structure a joint venture? How do you ensure you're protecting your interest as well as your money partner? So we talk about that and that's a 10 week live program with our last course is more on the multifamily space. So for people that are like, you know what, I'm interested in getting into multifamily. And like I said, you can't use a lot of the tools, I guess you can use a little bit in the residential space to invest multifamily, but multifamily, you're buying a business. And so how do you buy businesses, manage that business? So that's our program called Elevate Masterclass. It's actually just coincidental. We're just about to relaunch this. We start again in January, 2023, and we're just about to kind of provide some information sessions as well. So we're just about to relaunch that. Under Elevate Academy, we also got Elevate Mastermind, which is our mastermind group. And this is really designed for individuals that already know how to invest in real estate, but they're now going to kind of phase two and phase three. And that's really about scaling their business, marketing strategies, how to expand in their business, accounting, bookkeeping, it's all of those aspects that where these individuals already know how to invest, but they're looking for a place, a safe place to learn and expand. But on the other side is a safe place where they can talk about challenges and issues as well. And sometimes in our business, as I shared with you earlier, Corey, it can be a really lonely place. And when challenges happen, they have no place to kind of communicate this. And this is what this mastermind group's about. It's successful, seasoned investors coming together to share, collaborate, and continue to educate. But on the other side is they're also holding each other accountable for their growth for the year as well. So they have an accountability group that they're also associated with. So it's about building a very small, tight-knit community, feeling like a family where as a community, everybody's growing together, okay? And then the last one is more mentorship. So it's elevate mentorship for people that are looking for one-on-one coaching. And sometimes, you know what, they're scared. I've had people that I'm like, I'm scared to buy my very first single family property and I need some one-on-one coaching. And they're more than happy to collaborate with me and help support them in their journey. So that's what Elevate Academy is. And that's what we've created. I've always been doing coaching for a very long time. And this is for people that are maybe looking for some resources and support to help them in their investing journey. Nice. And then you've also got a Facebook group. I mean, it's got what almost 5,000 members. I think it's a savvy investor. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Give us a quick high level of that group. Sure. Yeah. Again, it's very similar. It's investors, people that are just beginning, people that have been doing this a long time. It's a community of sharing. We've got roughly around 4,700 members today, and they are all over North America, more heavily based in Canada. There is no selling within the group in itself. So it's all education. So for those that are wanting to learn more or get a sense of what's going on in the market, learn what other investors are doing. It's a community where everybody's kind of sharing and talking about it. In some cases, it's even supporting other members as as well, So for example, if you're looking for a realtor in Edmonton, throw it out there and all of a sudden you'll get a bunch of referrals and leads of good contacts out there to help support you. Or if you're dealing with a challenging issue, throw it out there. There's a lot of people that are willing to share. In addition, we do a lot of YouTube lives. Mm-hmm. We bring in a lot of great guest speakers lined up. And it's all about education. First and foremost, there's absolutely no cost associated with this. There is no selling within the group. It is just a great community of investors sharing. And it's all about education to help support you guys in your investing journey. Nice, and yeah, I've watched some of your YouTube stuff as well. You got a YouTube channel, so you're, you're a busy guy and tons of educational content out there. Someone with, I guess, your ear to the ground, and we know the market's shifting and changing. What do you see as an opportunity and maybe challenges, I guess? So there's gonna be opportunities for people and there's gonna be challenges. Could you speak to that? Yeah, I think, like I said, there's gonna be challenges and opportunities on both sides. For those that are already in the market today, and maybe a bot in the last you know, year, year and a half, I think we were kind of talking a little bit about this before we jumped on here. It's just, there's gonna be challenges. People with interest rates that were relatively low not that long ago are seeing some significant rate increases. And in some cases, what they bought their property for is maybe not the same value as what that once was before. So you know, my bit of advice is don't bury your head in the sand. And the important part is really take the time to assess the actual impact of your real estate transaction or your real estate business and start to kind of build a plan of attack associated with that make sure you're working and communicating with your mortgage broker as well. You know, maybe there's some options that you can offset some of the financing side to help support you going through this time. And so with that being said, and this is just my two cents, Mike Ponty's crystal ball, take it for what it's worth, but don't base it off of all my decision, but I'm just sharing what I'm doing. But the reality is, I think we're in this for the next year, year and a half to two years, we're in for a little bit of challenge with interest rates continuing to go up. Some markets are going to be more challenged than others. Like I think Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal are going to have some challenges. I think Calgary and Edmonton, we won't be to the same levels, to be honest with you, because affordability is there. So with that being said, you just got to kind of manage through this for the next year and two years. So the question is, is that something you're able to do, yes or no? And you got to kind of start to build kind of a plan of attack of how to facilitate that. And sometimes you got to make some difficult decisions, unfortunately, right? But I think you need to explore it. And the last piece on this is, Just don't bury your head in the sand. Like I said, get yourself involved, get some clarity to this. And so even when you've acquired your investment property from the beginning, you analyzed it. Maybe you need to go back and reanalyze it today again and make sure you understand what the impact is going to be for you. And then start to kind of build that plan there. In regards to opportunity, I think there's gonna be lots of opportunity in the near future. And so from my perspective, With prices going down, there's gonna be motivated sellers and probably a lot, almost every single market that's across this country, some more so than others. The downturn, I don't know the level, nobody does. But I would imagine in the next six to eight months, we'll start to see some of these things coming to fruition. And I was just reading some information just earlier this week about it is, I think people are kind of getting by right now because people are paying debt with debt. And so they're using credit cards, they're using lines of credit to offset some of these increases. But at some point in time, you know, you're going to run out of it. And so, with that being said, people at some point are going to have to make some very challenging decisions. And I don't know the impact. But what I've learned in my history, and you've learned this too, Corey, being in Alberta, riding a few recessions in the last 15 years, you know, those can be some of the best investment opportunities. And so, my strategy right now is we're getting into cash as much money as we possibly can. And we are getting ourselves prepared to be in full acquisition mode. It's not that there's no opportunities today. I think there is, but I think in the next six to eight months, there'll be a lot more others in the very near future. So, yeah, for sure. So I'm just going to hit you with a few quick, slightly a bit more personal questions is just like a rapid response type. So sure. what's an app or a software you use either for yourself personally or for your business that you couldn't live without? Uh, Mondays.com. Okay. And why is that? It is a great management tool for projects, organization. It's great for collaboration with your team members as well. So it just keeps everybody, you know, finger on the pulse of everything that's going on. You can work with social media for your calendar. It's great for project management. Even from a rental perspective, I just one platform for everything. you can use it as a CRM tool if you really want to. So it's just one of those tools that are fantastic for everything. So there's lots of different platforms, lots of different things out there. We've just migrated to mondays.com about a year and a half ago, and it's been fantastic. It's been really, really I've seen their ads. I've never really take the time to dig into what they do, but I didn't realize you could do it as a CRM as well. You can it's amazing it can really be manipulated in multiple different ways and again the real benefit to this is the collaboration with other team members so we utilize that for our property managers as well so if we've got projects or things like that you can update files and pictures and everything but it's just one place one platform one everything to house everything so you can always go back and track things and seeing how things are progressed so when a project gets completed you know they just hit the checkbox. it gets announced back to myself and again it's just a great place to always check things off versus all these emails that may be going back and forth. We try to use one platform for everything. Nice. And then what's a favorite book of yours? Oh, right now? I'm really, really liking Atomic Habits, actually. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book, but it is an excellent, excellent book. And it's really about kind of creating habits for yourself to be as efficient as you possibly can. And in this day and age, sometimes, We get busy, we get really busy very, very quickly. And it's about trying to put systems in place to make yourself effective. So I really, really love that book. I really do. And the other one that I really like with uh, Tim Ferriss is the four hour work week. And so I'm kind of at that point where for me, having more time and flexibility is becoming more of an important thing for me. And I've been doing this business for a very, very long time. And so it's just about finding ways, again, strategizing, systemizing, but again, kind of living more of a balanced and fulfilled life is what I'm looking at. So I love both of those books, so. Awesome, and then how about activities? What kind of stuff are you doing outside of real estate investing for activities? Oh, very good. Uh, snowboarding is one of my traits. So right now it's snowing up on the ski hill here. So I love snowboarding fishing is also a new hobby that my son and i are doing we do it very poorly but at the end of the day we have a lot of fun doing it uh so we bought a boat i think it was like about a year and a half ago because my son caught an interest in fishing and so we just started kind of that hobby recently like i said we've had a lot of fun because of the things we have caught that are not fish but we've sure had a lot of fun doing it together and that's been hilarious so we've caught a pair of scissors We've caught tons of line, but anyway, we've always had a lot of fun. We've caught fish too. Don't get me wrong, but it, <laughs> it, is, it is it is a really fun hobby that we've really enjoyed as a family. So it is fun for sure. Getting out know, nature, right? Too so. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Um, what's you. the best way for people to get a hold of mm-hmm. you? Yeah, great. Thanks again, Corey. I really appreciate this and I hope your listeners have found some value. Uh, If you guys want to learn more about myself or learn more about our educational programs with Elevate Academy or just even be part of the Savvy Investor community, just go to our website. It's thesavvyinvestor.ca. Again, thesavvyinvestor.ca and all of our links are there. You can get access to our YouTube channel and everything associated with that. And then, like I said, make sure you register for our newsletter as well as we keep everybody informed with lots of great market updates, information and upcoming events, so. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckport. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or my website is coreypeckford.com. Plus we have a Facebook group, it's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short, please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, Please subscribe and leave a five-star review that would be greatly appreciated thanks this is an I love mortgage brokering production